The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the West Side. I am uh, thrilled to be with you and really thrilled that, um, that last night I could literally, it, it was a full weekend. Um, if you're around our community, many of you were here yesterday and volunteered. We uh, had a memorial service for one of my most favorite and beloved Ecclesians, a dear brother, Joe Bullard, uh, who uh, really fought prostate cancer for seven years and has now gone to be with Jesus. And um, if you uh, have ever wondered what you might want your memorial service to look like, my guess is it would probably hopefully look like what we did yesterday. It was a big party. Joe had donated, among many things, Teclasia, this massive barbecue trailer that you see outside that we use from time to time to smoke massive amounts of meat and try to create the aroma of heaven on earth. And, uh, and we often succeed. And yesterday we had a lot of barbecue and we had a big celebration of Joe's life. And then his family wanted to uh, continue the celebration and go to the Astros game. And so I was obliged to take them. And... Uh, <laughs> But I could tell you, as we uh, looked like we were going into extra innings, I could just picture with every potential inning, uh, the quality of my sermon decreasing by about 30%. You just like, it was just right there. And so Jose Altuve not only sent us to the World Series, he rescued my sermon. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. So. And, and it's, uh, it's good that he did, because I feel like it's an important one. Um, this is one of those that I believe, um, I don't want to tell you what you've gotten wrong before you've looked at it, but let me suggest that there are places that today's sermons could, could re-alter some things for you. And it's one of those that if you step into the world and you believe this thing that's not true, you're not quite seeing the world accurately. Right? A little bit like when they thought the world was flat and then all of a sudden you realize it's not and it, you've got to reevaluate everything in that light. And so today I want to talk to you about maybe what you believe my job is, um, and I'm going to invite you to consider maybe you didn't understand it very well, and what your job is, and I'm going to invite you to consider that maybe you didn't understand it very well. First, let me tell you about my actual job uh, and why I love it. Um, there's a bunch of reasons I love it. Um, one was demonstrated really well with our friends Ben and Shabu. It is the coolest thing on earth. Um, to get to have a job and a vocation uh, where I get to represent you to people across the globe as you've been generous and been able to provide water to, clean pe to people that need it. Um, what happens in India is that um, Muslims drill wells and Hindus drill wells, and at Hindu wells, Hindu people can drink from it, and at Muslim wells, Muslim people can drink from it. And you know what happens when Ecclesia finds a well in India, and we've done literally hundreds of them. They're Christian drilled and everybody can drink from them. And, and it invites an opportunity for peace in just its presence, it's beyond prophetic. And, uh, and often it's so controversial, our brothers wouldn't even tell you the stories, uh, but they've been beaten and run off from drilling wells because um, the truth is people are, they're captured and enamored by that kind of love. My job's amazing because I get to go to places like Venezuela where there's real need and be able to share food and hope and medicine as a part of our work together. And it's a blessing. I, I, I don't know how much you like weddings, but I promise you I like them more. 
For you, it's probably dependent on how good the food is. For me at a wedding, I get the best seat in the house and I get to stand next to the bride and groom and get caught up in the energy of their love. And I'm just telling you, if you get to do that very often, it's a really great job. Um, I get to have these moments with you, like I hope I have today, where I see a light bulb go off and you go, wow, I think I could live differently. I think if I, think if I were to apply some of what he's saying, that would be... Like, that would be a real blessing uh, in, in my life. I, I'm, I'm blessed. One of my favorite things in my job is I get to take people to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And when they do, it, it changes things. You see things differently. We also drink great food and wine. We're going back in February. If you want to go with us, this is what we do. We just clink glasses and pray and read the Bible. I don't know what could be better than doing those three things. Um, but if you want to go in February... Do we have, there's the dates. If those dates are free, join us. Um, I get to, uh, I had something else on the list I know that was real. Oh, this is my favorite thing I get to do. When you're a pastor, um, I, I get to teach kids. Like yesterday at the funeral, because at Ecclesia, the rules are kind of off and we can do memorial services different than other people. We had a children's sermon in the memorial yesterday. And I got to explain to the kids what many adults are afraid sometimes to explain to them of what death really is, and that um, death doesn't mean people cease to exist. It just means their souls no longer inhabit their bodies because their bodies are broken in the same way that my iPhone broke last week and it no longer works. Um, our bodies at some point break and that God promises to give us one that will never break. And my friend Joe, in recent weeks, he got a body that will never break in a place that he will be forever with our Lord and Savior Jesus. And when you get to teach kids, and I saw kids literally just like tears coming down their face, but they were getting, right? This is, oh, this is hopeful. That's a great part of my job. What I want you to know is that um, that's my vocation, uh, but my calling, in many ways, it's no different than yours. There's this basic tenet of the church uh, that many of us have either ignored or forgotten, and this is what it says. It says, um, there, there's, there's not two classes of Christians. Many of us have grown up in a world that we've thought, well, there's clergy, there's the professional Christians, and there's the laity, there's the people that sit in the pew, and that they're different. They're not. We're the same. Your work is equally important to my work. And you know what the Bible tells us? We're all priests that all of us are priests. And so in the Reformation, we're gonna look particularly at two of the reformers today. One guy we looked at already, his theology of the cross, his name's Martin Luther. Martin Luther saw some particular problems in the church in that day that are different than they are today. Um, it, it was an interesting little plan they came up with that if you sinned, you could just pay money and your sins were erased. Uh, wasn't really a great plan. It was one of the things that kind of threw the church off, right? And um, it's kind of like a vending machine. You just send, you pay, you send, you pay, you send, you pay. Um, there's, there are different issues today. We'll talk about our issues. And then a guy named John Calvin that we're going to look at that particularly contributes that he says, not only are there not two classes of Christians, so what I would tell you is that those two words should disappear from our vocabulary, clergy and laity. I got a good friend that um, was a part of starting the Laity Lodge, which is a beautiful place, and his, he was trying to call people deeper into their vocation. 
Uh, Howard Butts has gone on to be with the Lord, but I used to tell him he needs to rename the place because the word laity doesn't exist in the Bible, and I don't believe it exists. It's just priests. You're a priest, and I'm a priest. And today I want to talk to you about uh, what I think that is supposed to look like. Um, One of the most important theologians and missiologists uh, for me in the world is a guy named Leslie Newbigin. And what Newbigin would say is that uh, in the world that we live in, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is like a diamond, and the world, it's a very British way of saying it, but he would say, the world is like a dunghill. It's a very polite way to say what you know he's saying. And uh, he says what we do is, um, as we live out the gospel, what we do is we take our diamond, the gospel, and we roll it down the dunghill. And he says what we have to do from time to time is pick it up and take a look at it because what often happens is we end up having more dung than diamond, right? What he's talking about are these things that attach themselves that are a part of our culture. So like when, when we work with Living Water and we go in and we help uh, share the good news of Jesus in the Amazon, which is one of the places we're doing that, we literally are going into communities where they have been cannibalistic. And when we get to tell them about Jesus, we have to tell them like, hey, and so the gospel isn't really like, like when you're a Christian, you don't eat people. That's what we have to tell them. Like, <laughs> This is part of, this has been a part of your culture that would be really great to leave behind because um, we, we see people in a different way, right? And they have to go, okay, all right, yeah, I can see that. Like, maybe that's not a great way to live. And we have to leave some things behind. Those aren't our particular, ours feel less crude, but we have some places in our culture uh, that we, we um, things get off track. If you think about our current modern digital culture, What are some things that you think of that you think, man, those would be hard because when those kind of attach to the good news of Jesus, it gets a little broken. It's some of the dung on our diamond. Can you think of any of those things? I've got a Topo Chico so I can wait. (laughs) What's that? Politics. So we've often come into a world that feels really divided. And no matter what your political views are, this is what you probably ought to know, that if Jesus came to save the world through political systems, he would have done something radically different, right? And if you think Jesus is really fired up about what you're watching on your news channel, right, you're probably wrong. And it's one of those places where sometimes we have to pull that back and go, maybe that's not what's so important. And maybe, especially if it's gotten really attached to the good news of Jesus, we should probably chip it off a bit. Entertainment, we've become a people, right? That just, every, we, our attention span, like you talk to people about, if, if they read the Bible for three minutes, they think they did something significant because we're a people that it, literally just to read, we read in short snippets and our brains are not working quite the way they were maybe intended. There's a number of places that we go, maybe that's keeping us from being the people we were meant to be. Social media, we're, we're people that curate our lives, right? That in a way is not very authentic. Some things actually happen, but the way we present it probably is a little bit different. Wealth, we become these materialistic people. I mean, the truth is, and I, and I could ask most of you, like, where do you find your peace? And when things get hard, what do you do? And you could give me the Christian answers. But if I push deep, and I go, you got a big breakup, things get really hard. You know what most of you do when things get really hard? You know, right? You go shopping. You buy, you, Target makes you feel better, right? 
we laugh because it's true. And the truth is, like, you buy that thing and you feel better, depending on how much you spend for a short amount of time or a longer amount of time. But yeah, materialism is one of them. I know there's a couple more. The Enneagram? In, in what way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably any, any category, anything that categorizes us we could use for our own purposes that could not be helpful or good, for sure. There's, Enneagram would be one of those ways we could categorize, for sure. Any, anybody bothered by the, the, the way, and we talk about it with social media, but everything in our world becomes a product, like people become a product. And the way we talk to people, often... It, was anybody else thrown off by the way the Yankee fans talked to our players this week, or was it just me, right? Just, it's just unbelievable. You go like, they're talking about people's mothers and children and yelling things at people, and, you, and yet you look and you go, I, I'm not surprised. We live in a digital culture where people, they will literally say anything without any regard for truth. And that's part of what a celebrity culture, I hope none of you have bought them at least in a long time. But isn't it remarkable that the tabloid industry is a billion dollar industry? That people are so obsessed with wanting negative thoughts and things to say about people that they will actually pay money as they're buying eggs and milk to get something that they know is not true and yet it feeds this darkest part of us. So I wonder, and this is what we're going to look at today, what does it look like in our current day and age to see all of ourselves, each one of us, as priests? Hebrews 10 makes this really clear, right? The writer of Hebrews says, so my friends, Jesus by his blood gives us courage to enter the most holy place. He has created for us a new and a living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest who presides over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts full of faith, with hearts rents clean of any evil conscience, and with bodies cleansed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us, right, that in the Old Testament, there was a role for a priest, a priest that would play a sacrificial role. We would offer sacrifices of, of bulls and cows and goats and and. And priests had a special role to go into the Holy of Holies one day a week. But that when Christ came, all of that was gone. And now our sacrifices, the scriptures tell us, are spiritual sacrifices. What we do is we live a life of grace and goodness before God. We serve, and those become our sacrifices. So I want to read to you today our primary text in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to ask God just to speak to us in this text about who we are. And I'm hoping by the time that we're done together that you and I will both see our jobs and roles in the world in a different way and that it will change us. There's another part of me that wants to break this sermon down into multiple weeks and deal only with verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2 because verse 1 is so good we could spend the rest of our year focused on it. It would change us. So let's focus on verse 1 for a minute. Imagine Peter speaking to us and he just says, so how about this? How about we get rid of hatefulness? 
and deception. Now, there are a lot of ways we deceive. We deceive ourselves. We deceive one another. Sometimes we outright lie. Sometimes we just live in this world of deception. He says, what if we were to get rid of insincerity? Wouldn't it be beautiful? You know one of the things I love about a memorial service? Um, God's calling. <laughs> I, I literally, if your phone rings in church, I will never choose to embarrass you because it could so easily be me. Um, I once did a wedding with one of the most uptight um, mother of the brides that you've, isn't it funny how you say you did a wedding for the mother of the bride and you realize like, <laughs> It was actually true. And I finished the wedding and I saw that my phone ringer was actually on during the wedding. It did not ring, but the reality that it could have rung, this mother would have crucified me, <laughs> literally crucified me. Um, there is so little I enjoy about, um, well, I'm not, that's the wrong way to say it. Let me tell you what I do enjoy about a funeral or memorial service. I, I love to be in a place where no one uh, feels the need to fake anything. If you're with family the way I've been over the last week with a family that's lost someone they love desperately, um, people don't even bother to wipe their face as the snot runs down their face, right? They, they weep in a way that has no pretense. And we live in a world where people are building up walls and I've learned if I can be with people that will choose to be sincere, and grief has a way of doing that, that it's actually a gift and not a curse. Peter says, what if we could give up insincerity, right? And jealousy. This idea that what somebody else has is what you should have. It destroys us and slander. It's amazing, we live in a world where people choose to use words, both true and untrue, to tear down other people. And we just gotta say, Ecclesia, wouldn't it be beautiful to live in a world where we get rid of hatefulness, deception, insincerity, jealousy, and slander? The good news and the bad news is that none of us stands here today saying, well, I've already gotten rid of those, so what's next? We step in and continually, daily, we have to lay these things down. Peter goes on and invites us more deeply into this story. He says, be like newborn babies crying out for spiritual milk. That will help you grow into salvation. If you've tasted and found the Lord to be good, right? One of the reasons we, at 9 a.m., we had like 14 newborn babies in the room today. The newborn babies are up early, so the families come to church early. That's exactly what happens. These people have been up since five. They're like, why would I wait till 11 to go to church? That makes no sense, right? It was perfect at the 9 a.m. because they were all crying out and making noises at just the appropriate time. But that, that's what newborn babies do. They know what they want, they ask for it. It's part of what I encouraged Hollis to do yesterday in the, the, the memorial service of her husband is that in the middle of grief, sometimes we just have to say, this is what I want, this is what I need. Would you please help me? And when we're like babies, we know what I need is to grow and I need to learn more about God. I need to be in Christian community. And if I have that milk, I could really grow and thrive. He says, just go after that milk, get some nutrition spiritually. 
Peter says, come to him, to Jesus, the living stone, who was rejected by people but accepted by God as chosen and precious. Like living stones, let yourselves be assembled into a spiritual house, a holy order of priests who offer up spiritual sacrifices that will be acceptable to God through Jesus the anointed. Now remember, who was Peter writing to here? Was he writing to a group of pastors? He was writing to God's people, to the church, to all people. And what did he just call you? Did you hear it? You're a holy order of priests. And you offer up spiritual sacrifices that will be acceptable to God through Jesus the anointed. And he goes on, he explains, for it says in the words of the prophet Isaiah, see here I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever depends on him will never be disgraced. This is a foretelling of Jesus. To you who believe and depend on him, he is precious. Isn't that good news? It's that steadfast song we sang. If you believe and you depend on Jesus, he will be precious to you. But to you who don't, remember the words of the psalmist that the stone that the builders rejected has been laid as the cornerstone, the very stone that holds together the entire foundation. And of Isaiah, a stone that blocks their way, a rock that trips them and they stumble because they don't follow the word of God as they were destined to. Even just the simple truths in God's word we're gonna read today, if you follow them, they will lead you to life to joy, to beauty. Peter goes on, this is what he says. He says, but you are a chosen people, set aside to be a royal order of priests, a holy nation. He said it a couple times now, right? Are you getting it? God's own. So that you may proclaim the wondrous acts of the one who called you out of inky darkness into shimmering light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received it. Beloved, remember, you don't belong in this world. You are re resident aliens living in exile. So resist those desires of the flesh that battle against the soul. Live honorably among the outsiders so that even when some may be inclined to call you criminals, when they see your good works, they might give glory to God when he returns in judgment. Ecclesia, what does it mean for you and I to both be priests? If there is no clergy and laity, if we're all priests, what does that mean for you and me? Well, one, it means um, that we sometimes can have different vocations. So as I told you, I like my vocation. I get to represent you in really great ways. I get to have moments like this that I teach you. Some of you don't have enough caffeine yet and you're giving me a blank stare, but some of you are not. And, and some light bulbs start to go off for you and that's a real gift, right? But the truth is, and this is what Martin Luther would say, um, it may not feel the same resonance today because not many people have this job, but he would say that the vocation of being a priest is just as sacred as the vocation of milking a cow. Now, now machines milk cows, so it doesn't quite make the same sense today. But this is what I'd tell you. Whatever your vocation, you do it as a priest. We got a few of you in the room with different vocations. Just name some of your vocations. What is it that you do? Anybody? What's that? A business owner, right? So this is the thing. You're a priest who happens to own a business. 
And when you approach being a priest that owns a business in that way, you make decisions in a different way as a business owner. When you say, you know what, I'm a priest before God, I'm a part of a royal priesthood, God speaks directly to me just like he does to Chris. God uh, forgives my sins in the same way that he forgives the sins of a pastor, that we all come from the same place and that there is none of God's love that is blocked from you in any way. Other vocations? A geologist. So I'm a priest who knows a heck of a lot about rocks and hopefully how to extract some oil from them, right? But I'm a priest first. And as a priest, I bring my understanding of the natural world and hopefully an ability to bring it into business, but I'm a priest who is working in geology. Give me one more. A realtor, right? So I happen to be a priest who helps people sell and exchange properties, but I do it as a priest. Hopefully we're far enough along that you could do that for yourself now. And this is what I wanna tell you. When I invite you to do things that are about um, things you do, you tend to get it pretty quickly. So hey, would you do this? We ought to do this, one, two, three. When I invite you to do identity work, which is to say, this is who I am, it's sometimes a little more difficult. What you have to do is begin to speak to yourself about who you are. I'm a priest, God speaks to me, God talks to me, God's love is directed towards me, and as a priest, I have some particular gifts, and my vocation, the work that I do, that I put my hand to, it's sacred. If you teach, right? If you are a nurse or a doctor and you help to heal, you are a priest who is also doing your medical work. And in those places, I'm just telling you, Ecclesia, this may sound like, for some of you, so simple, and for some of you, it may sound like, I, I didn't really know that, but I'm just telling you, this is one of those truths that if you would adopt it into your life and in your, you'd go, I would begin to see things a little bit differently. So John Calvin talked about uh, in this Priest of the Believers, and by the way, if you're a follower of John Calvin or you just hear the name, um, we could do a whole another sermon or a really theological series on this. There's a whole movement of what people would call Calvinism. It, I, I'm not sure it reflects very accurately uh, the teachings of the guy John Calvin, which we had his photo up there just to see what a handsome guy he was with a long, fancy beard. And uh, they were hipsters before anybody knew they were hipsters. And, uh, and what I could tell you about John Calvin's work is that I don't think most Calvinists today would think he's a Calvinist. Um, but, but what I can tell you is that when he talked about the priesthood of the believers, this is what he said. He said that Christ played certain roles and held certain offices, and all of us as priests also hold those offices. And, th and these were the three, the, the roles, the mantle of a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so what I want to invite you to do is consider what that looks like for you, and then I'm going to give you just how many things? Three things to consider as we come to communion. So Christ held the office, the roles of prophet, priest, and king. Calvin says we hold them as well. What does that mean? Um, I'll make this really short because I can just tell if I'm short, you're going to stay with me, and if I'm long, you're not. I just sometimes know from the look in your eye. Only one person's sleeping currently, so they were okay. <laughs> I have a cutoff at four. When four people are sleeping, the sermon's over, so... A prophet. Now, this is one of those words, again, we often misunderstand. We think a prophet is someone who 
tells the future often. We think um, it's not the biblical role of prophecy is not that. Um, Walter Brueggemann, a great Old Testament theologian, says that the prophet, this is what a prophet does. So literally, if you want to write something down today, which not many of you do, but if you wanted to write something down, this would be it. This is what a prophet does. A prophet paints a picture of the world as it currently is and the world as it should be. This wanted to tell you, you're a priest. When you step into a, a place in the world, into your work environment, anywhere you go, God will give you a vision of a prophet to see the world as it is, broken and as it is, and the world as it should be, and call you into the tension of a way to help make the world a better place. Now, the reality is most of that doesn't happen instantly. But when we step into, right, when I, I lean in with our friends that were here earlier from India and I see a world filled with violence where Muslim and Hindus are hating each other, it doesn't take long to realize what Christ would love here is a just world and a place where Christians extended love to everyone, right? And we start moving towards that. There are gonna be places in your world you just have these Christian eyes to see what the world should be. Does that make sense to everybody? A few people at least. I wanna find a better way to say it, and that's all I have for you. I, I believe um, there, there are, um, let me tell you what it's not. It's not being uh, like a movie critic or uh, a restaurant critic, right? Isn't it funny how you got these restaurant critics and they've never actually made any great food, they just know how to criticize food not being that great? So they just go in and they're like, I'm an expert at how you do it wrong. Right. But they don't know actually how to make anything, right? All these movie critics, you're like, how many films have you made, right? And we're not the people that just criticize. That's not what we do. We actually go, you know what? I see what you're trying to do, and those are nice films. What I want to do is tell a different and better story. So we're not the critics that tear other people down. We're the people that recreate a world that's a better world. So we step into our workplace and we say, hey, people are unkind to each other. What needs to happen to recreate a world where people, as they work, are encouraging and kind to one another? Who wants to work in an atmosphere of unkindness? No one. But you know what happens? No matter what you're paid, if you're working in an environment where people are kind to each other, you go home and you sleep better at night. And you go, you know what? Life's pretty good. Why is it good? I don't know. People just seem to be pretty nice. They seem to be pretty kind. If you're in an environment where people are complaining, right, you just think, this will wear me down. That's the role of a prophet. Then there's this role as priest. In Ephesians 3, Paul talks about it this way. He says, his faithfulness to God has made it possible for us to have the courage we need and the ability to approach the, the Father confidently. Here's the good news. You don't go through anyone to hear from God. God talks to you. If, I'm just telling you, if God had to go through me or somebody else to get to you, it would get messed up along the way so many times because we got so many broken humans. Now, what you ought to do is say, hey, this is how God's speaking to me. Does that sound right to you? Right? We had this kid early in the life of Ecclesia. He kept reading the Bible, and, um, which is always good, right? You're thinking this kid reads the Bible, but he'd read the Bible and his interpretation of it was a little bit off, Right? Like he read this passage from Moses and the burning bush and, he, and I was like, well, what, is, what does that mean? And he said, I think what God's telling me is to smoke more weed because the bush is burning and it's a burning bush, right? 
you just say like, I'm pretty sure that's not what God's telling you in the Bible. It's not that, right? So you need some moments where you go, hey, listen, is this what God's saying? And some people can go, well, maybe not. Let's rethink that, right? Um, we're, doesn't mean we get it right 100%, but this is what I want you to hear. Your ears may be clogged because you haven't been listening. But if you'll pause, if you'll put away your device, right? Today, I'm so glad you're in church today. It acknowledges the fact that you see a rhythm in life, that there's a Sabbath that exists. There's a day you pause and you listen to God. A Sabbath where you sit with friends and people that love God and you look them in the eye and you have conversations with them, right? Anybody planning to do that today? Where you put your device away. Anybody planning to put their device away today? No one. <laughs> I love the honesty in our church. Everybody's, anybody thinking about it now that I brought it up? Like maybe it's possible, right? I might, I, th I think I might put it away for at least five minutes. Right? This is what we, if you'll just clear the deck, this is what I wanna promise you. God will speak to you. God does not love anyone here more than he loves someone else. And God wants to whisper in your ear. And you don't have to be afraid of what God will say. He, Jesus said really clearly, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, right? I came to rescue it. And when God starts whispering in your ear, he's not going to be whispering things about how you messed up. He's not going to be whispering harsh words to you. Now, there may be some places you messed up. You ought to be open to that for sure. I have to. But he's going to be whispering words of kindness and love. That's what it means to be a priest. Lastly, Christ bore the role of king. What's still amazing about the story of Christ in every way is that Christ was fully God, literally king of all kings, and he lowers himself to come down and to touch the leper and to eat a meal with the prostitute and to to get face to face with people, to be and still be kingly and stately but kind and loving. And I just wanna tell you, you're made to touch people in that way. And when you realize, and this is the gift you possess that you may not realize because you had not been thinking of yourself as a priest, as a prophet, priest, and king. But you know what? Whether it's a kid or a coworker, you have an ability to speak words of kindness and truth to people. I just wanna encourage you this week, listen to what God might tell you about other people kind words that you could speak to them, and then do this. Say it to them. If it feels appropriate, you could even touch them and just touch their hand. Say it slowly to them. Some kind word that God would bring to you. And what you're gonna find is that people will absorb your words and it will mean so much to them. You, you believe in me? You, you notice that I'm kind? You, you think I'm a good parent? How many people around you do you think are struggling thinking, I'm the worst parent around? And you know what? They're doing so much, right? They're not perfect, but they're doing so much. And what happens when you honor the good things they're doing? And you say, I see in you so much love. Just slow down, say it slowly. And this is what you'll watch. Their physical posture will change. Oh, you know why you get to do that? Because you're a priest. Your calling is no more sacred than mine. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, if I could live in a world and serve in a church where people understood that role, 
wow, the world would be so much more of a beautiful place. Let me give you three things to do as we come to communion. I told you I was going to be short, and I lied. I'm sorry. <laughs> three things quickly. This is what I want to invite you to do. What must I do now, right? If I'm a priest, what, I hadn't been thinking about it, but I heard before this priest of all believers, I hear you teaching it. You're telling me I'm a priest. I'm supposed to see myself differently. What should I do now? Three things. First, accept your ordination. You've been ordained. When you were called by Christ, when you chose to believe in Christ, when you said, I will answer the call to follow Christ, you were ordained. If you want, I'll give you a certificate, but you don't really need it. You only need it if you're going to do a wedding for somebody, right? So you just, what you need to know is that you're ordained. You are called out. You are a part of a royal priesthood. We heard it twice just in a few verses. Accept that ordination and choose to see yourself differently. You're a priest who happens to help people sell real estate as a part of the sacred work that you do. Secondly, baptize your vocation. Whatever it is that you do, uh, hear, hear this, Ecclesia, please. I'm going to say it clearly as I know how. You are going to touch people in places I could never touch them. You may think I'm just selling something. No, you're interacting with people in a way that most of us will never get to. And those interactions are sacred. And you've been called to it as a part of your priestly responsibilities. Accept your ordination, baptize your vocation, and lastly, do this with me. Would you reimagine? We got another one. Reimagine your schedule, your finances, and your priorities in light of what it means to be a priest. If you see yourself as a priest, this one I would suggest, it's hard to be a really good priest if you never read the Bible. If being a priest means that God speaks to you and you rarely take time to pray, it's hard to be a good priest because you go, I know God speaks to me, I just choose not to speak to him. So what I'm inviting you to do is say, would you reimagine your schedule in light of that? Would you reimagine how the responsibilities God has given you with your finances? Because if you're a priest and all of what God's given you comes back and it's really directed towards you, that doesn't work very well, right? So would you just say, okay, God, given that you've given me this and I'm a priest, what should I do with it? And so many of you are doing these things already, but that's an important reminder. And then lastly, how do I prioritize these things? If I have a sacred work and calling, how do I reimagine my priorities in light of it? And this is the good news. Because you're a priest, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I don't know. God speaks to you. He will speak to you. Now, if you ever feel like he's not speaking to you on the time frame that you had chosen, welcome to the club. Right? There are many of us that I'm, I, God, I want answers. Right? And God says, well, I'm, I'm just going to keep giving you the right questions. Will you keep asking them? And in that, we have to say, okay, God, I'll walk that path, and I'll walk it slowly and with faith and hopefully with patience. Will you give me a moment and let me pray for you? In some ways, you could see this as your ordination. If you've never fully accepted that you're a priest, 
I want to invite you to the fact that Jesus loves you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you as one of his priests. He's asked you to step into the world as a prophet, one who sees what the world should be and invites God's justice and his kingdom into it. He's invited you to be a priest who speaks to others the good news of Jesus, who hears others as they confess their sins and reminds them that they're forgiven, who embodies the love of Christ to friends and family and people that you may meet on the streets. He's invited you to be a king. You're a part of a royal family. You're a son or a daughter of the king. And as you step into places with people that are hurting, you bring a sense of hope that's hard for you to fully imagine. And so God, I ask for my brothers and sisters that we would lean in to being the people that you made us to be, that we'd be your ecclesia, your church, your called out ones, a holy order of priests, And that as we walk this path together, that you would bring hope and beauty and justice, not only to Houston, but to our brothers and sisters today in India and in Buenos Aires and in Zambia, all across Europe and Asia and the Middle East where many are suffering. We pray today for the Kurds and people in Kurdistan that are suffering. We pray against war in that region and in Syria. And we pray that as your priest that we would stand for justice and hope and truth. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.